0: Let us pray. Oh, Lord, as we come to consider your word, open up our hearts. Open up our lives. May we meditate on your word, fold it into our lives, live it out, Lord, for your glory. May we walk in your ways. May we walk in love to God and love to one another. By your sovereign grace, for you have made us new creation, we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good deeds, which you prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. O oh Lord, do your work in our lives for Jesus' sake. Amen. Just a few words of introduction before we uh, read from 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. We've been talking about God as our father. And in Romans 8, we talked about the intimacy that we have with God, that we can call him by that intimate name, Abba or Daddy, Father. It speaks of the intimacy and the acceptance and the delight and trust that we have As sons and daughters and you daughters are called sons because the sons had the inheritance, the full rich inheritance of the father. And so we all are sons in that sense. But right as Paul talked about our being sons, he immediately pointed to the future, didn't he? That we're heirs as well. So the point is, you're loved now, but you're loved forever and there is a final consummation of that love when you will be transformed and you will be made in every way like Jesus Christ. Your whole being will be like His. You will know His holiness and His joy as the perfect man. We will perfectly experience The love of God and love for God and love for one another. That is our inheritance. So, Abba Father, and yet we look to the future for the full consummation. It's even said that though we are adopted, we will one day be adopted. That is, the full expression of our adoption is on the way. So, in that chapter, he talks about then nothing will separate us from His love. That all things work together to that final end. That God is for us and nothing can be against us. So that if we're sons, then this love that we have is everlasting. It's every day, it's every hour, in everything from now on. That's the feel of Romans 8 as he talks about sonship and then ends that chapter saying nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What a sonship, what a sonship, daily enjoyment forever. But it's also not just this final consummation of what will happen to us, but we saw there that it's cosmic in scope. The whole creation awaits the unveiling of the children of God. The whole earth is involved. The whole earth follows and is transformed when we are transformed so that the future of the universe follows the future of God's children. That's how important sonship is. It literally, in one way, governs the whole future of the world because he governs the world on the basis of. Of nurturing his children, gathering his children and the final consummation of his children, children being transformed. And so we will live in a new heaven and a new earth with transformed lives, transformed, transformed bodies, transformed relationships and transformed capacities as human beings to live out full, energetic, created, joyful lives in a renewed earth. Pretty glorious. Abba father means that glorious final inheritance. But among Christians, as Peter Kraft has written on his book on heaven, he says we often have pathetic substitutes of heaven full of fluffy clouds, sexless cherubs, (laughs) harps, and metal halos. Presided over by a stuffy, divine chairman of the board, B-O-R-E-D, which are a joke, not a glory. And it's true. Our concepts of heaven are dull, syrupy, trite, and really we're left to pick, many people, boredom or the agony of hell. Which one? Because when we really think about it. Our hearts aren't stirred many times because of our false concept of what heaven is. And so we feel like this life is all there is of real life, real opportunity to do anything or accomplish anything or really enjoy anything. Either way, when this world's gone, we've got little to choose from. That's sadly a common, common feel of many Americans as they think about heaven. You see, there's no hope of heaven unless there's a love of heaven. There can be no love of heaven unless thinking about it moves us. There must be recognizable glory in all and expectation for us to long for it and hope for it and live for it and give up everything for it. So our belief, our understanding of heaven is very important. Every day of our lives. Now, I'm going to change a little bit this morning and instead of what will we do in heaven, I'm going to just focus on what will we be in heaven? What will we be in heaven and why does it matter? And if you'll turn with me to First Corinthians 15, we will explore some of the glory of what will happen to us personally in the new heavens and the new earth. As here, Paul In more detail than any other place, talks about the change that will occur in our lives. This, of course, is the great chapter on resurrection and verse thirty five. We'll read then to the end of the chapter and consider some of Paul's words here. Primarily the first half of this. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. By the way, if you don't have your own Bible, I should have told you this before. You can turn to page 961 in that blue pew Bible, 961, to find where we're reading Okay, in verse thirty eight. But God gives it a body as He has chosen into each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body. There's also a spiritual body. Thus, it, it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was born. was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are of the dust, as is the man of heaven. So also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The reading of God's word. If you back up to verse thirty five. It's obvious that in looking at these questions, they are not innocent questions. That is not just little innocent intellectual questions. There is a refusal to observe truth here because he says, you foolish person. In fact, you foolish you, what you sow. He emphasizes you. Uh, You even know when you sow seeds. So apparently what was happening with these are, who are called the spirituals, the, the so-called spiritual people of these uh, in Corinth. They believed that they had reached this realm of spirituality, this super realm of of being above and beyond this world, even as they continued in the body. And they were so concerned and so taken up with being spiritual and having entered into this higher state that what happened to the body really didn't matter anymore. In fact, I got into a, a, not trouble, I would say, but I certainly raised eyebrows at the first time I ever spoke here on Easter, speaking on the resurrection out of 1 Corinthians six, which also deals with the subject of fornication. And the elder said, you know, that's the first time that's ever been spoken about on Easter, I think, in this place. But Paul was making the application there that if your body is going to be raised, if your body is joined to Christ, if it's a member of Christ, if it is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, if the Lord Jesus purchased that body, then what you do with your body does matter. And so in this passage, likely these spirituals had in mind just a simple resuscitation of a corpse. And of course, the question would be, what kind of body... You're going to have somebody just raise out of a a tomb, dead bodies coming alive. And you and I would get the creeps, too. You know, that's the stuff of horror movies, dead bodies coming out of tombs and the like. And that's kind of the picture here. Is that what you're talking about, Paul? What kind of body would anybody have if they came alive anyway? Who would want that? And of course, part of their uh, purpose is to finally be free of this body. They're above and beyond the body. The body doesn't matter. They were infected with the kind of Greek thought that the sooner the better that we can get rid of this body. I spoke at a conference uh, a few weeks ago, a family conference, and one lady, on hearing some of these things, well, said, Well, I have a pastor that said that the body is kind of like our earth suit, and we'll just unzip it one day and we'll be gone. I said, Yeah, that's classic Greek thought. Heresy, I'm sorry. That's what it is. The body matters. So in answering this, Paul addresses immediately this these people and says, You foolish one, you you even know differently. You even know what happens with a seed. So he uses a seed as the first example. You put a seed in the ground, but out doesn't come just a bigger seed or a kind of half destroyed seed out of the ground. What comes up is a whole oak tree. A peach tree with glorious peaches, or whatever you want to name, or a beautiful flower. So the the body that is sown, the seed, the bare seed. It could be a, a, a kernel of wheat. He says, it comes up something very differently. So he begins to give these two ideas: the different kinds of bodies that there are, and even in this example, how one body can be completely transformed. There's a continuity in the two bodies. This is an oak seed or acorn, but now it is an oak tree. The prettiest tree on our street is this wonderful live oak across the street that covers the whole front of that yard and usually half of the, of the street. I wish there was on every, you know, in every yard, but it began with a little seed. Well, he goes on to explore this idea of God's amazing capacity To create different bodies, different forms. Notice he says, even in verse 38, not only does the seed go into a different kind of body, but different seeds have different kinds of bodies. And then verse 39, he talks about different kinds of animals. There's one kind, and this is a basic division of the day, humans, animals, birds and fish. Look at all the different forms, the different bodies. And here's the idea that they each need different bodies for different circumstances, different environments, different conditions. And that's going to introduce something about our new bodies because we're going to be in a whole different condition, a whole different world. And we need bodies wholly different that will be appropriate for that wholly different world. Then he goes on. He continues that you see how he 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 seems to almost over illustrate this by stressing the different kinds of bodies and different kind now of not only earth, but he leaps and jumps into the sky. Uh, He talks in verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And then he introduces the idea of glory in the heavenly bodies, not simply different bodies, but different glories of these different bodies. So there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, and even among stars there is different glory. Okay, Paul, okay. Do you get the point? He's just talking about it in such a full and rich way to drive home the point. It is not going to be anything like the present body. There is continuity. But God has unlimited power to make our bodies into whatever he chooses. And one immediately thinks about Philippians chapter three, when he talks about when Jesus comes, he says he will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory By the power that He has to subject all things to Himself. You see, it's the unlimited power of the Creator who is coming to transform our bodies and make them wholly different from anything that we could imagine. So we can't think of just a resuscitated corpse. We're talking about a transformation of major proportions that in some way could be as different, though there's continuity of life, as a seed is from a tree in terms of all that that tree is and can produce. So all of creation points to this difference of bodies and difference of glory. And so we should not be surprised. He says in verse 42, then, so is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. And that contrast is found three more times in the latter part of this chapter. It's a major part. Read life here, indestructible life, constantly sustained life, never weakening, never failing, never subsiding, full, rich, abundant life, totally unlike the body that we have now that fails and breaks down and and it's so weak in so many ways. We're constantly trying to hold it up. And the older we get, the harder it is to hold it up. And finally, tragically, it just gives away. The saddest place for me is the nursing home. And I always try to picture when I see some woman or some man sitting in a wheelchair in the hall, staring off in the space. Their mind is gone. Their mouth may be just going like this. And... You can't speak to them. They hardly see it. Or maybe they say something to you that doesn't make any sense. They can't do anything for themselves. And there you have That's really what our body is like, ultimately. That's all our body will ever be, finally. Just that broken down heap of nothing that finally dies off. But not the resurrection body. You see, we are sown perishable, but we're raised imperishable. We're sown in dishonor. And I always try when I'm in a nursing home to think of, wonder what this lady was like. wonder what she was like as a five-year-old girl or a teenager or married early. And just try to think there's a real person here, you know. And, and yet, look at the dishonor. But it's raised in glory. We've all seen loved ones or friends, relatives, uh, crippled in many ways, by disease. And the dishonor that this body just collapses under the attack, under the invasion of other powers that we cannot resist. And it will happen sooner or later. Every time I see, study art periodically and look at different art, and I I see a fine-looking young man of the 18th century, 19th century, and I think, no more. No more doesn't matter who he was, what he was, how good he looked. His body was finally completely dishonored and the worms fed on it. That's all our bodies are in themselves. We're sown in dishonor, but we're raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. And finally, he says it's sown in a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Here's the key to everything. Don't read here, it was sown a physical body, now it's a non-physical body or a non-material body. The spiritual here should be capitalized, it's of the spirit. It is conditioned, a body conditioned by the spirit, fully influenced and governed by the spirit. A body fully enlivened and strengthened by the spirit, a whole different body and life for a whole different age, a whole different world, a whole different mode of existence. And in the scriptures, you will find three things always associated with the spirit that are stated here about our bodies, life, power and glory. Always associated with the Holy Spirit. And these are the marks of our new body. Why? Because we are of the Spirit. The Spirit's indwelling has finally fully manifested itself to encompass our bodies themselves. So that in some way, related to our perfected and magnified humanity, not on a divine scale, in a purely finite scale, but in some way, our humanity will reflect The power and glory and life of God through the Holy Spirit. We will be the children of God manifested in a way we could not imagine. We could not conceive of this. And then he says something very interesting. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And here, commentators, and I think... Uh, Dr. Voss, Johannes Voss, uh, early in the 19th, uh, 20th century, was one of the first to uh, come to this conclusion. And I think it's an accurate one that. If there was a natural body in this point, he's thinking of the natural body of Adam. That is not the body so much attacked or or downed by sin, but just this huge principle that. There was always going to be this move from natural to spiritual. And in this sense, spiritual, as uh, Gordon Fee talks about, should not be thought of as non-material, as I've said. But perhaps we should say natural and supernatural. Natural and supernatural. Supernatural. We, we always think of Superman or some other superhero, don't we, when we think of supernatural powers or whatever. Well, compared to what we are, there will be a power and a glory and a life that we cannot imagine. But it appears that this was always going to be the case. And let me just illustrate this, if I can. Imagine that we have never seen a butterfly or a moth, Okay. All we saw were caterpillars. And every caterpillar had a genetic defect. We didn't know it because when we came along, they were just caterpillars. And we didn't even know that the caterpillar had a genetic effect. We just thought they were little worms, little cute, colored sometimes, fuzzy this, fuzzy that, eat leaves all the time. They would get fat and eventually they'd die. And that was it for a caterpillar. That was its life as a caterpillar. Then one day... There was a genetic oddity. And this one caterpillar continued to live. This caterpillar formed a chrysalis. We'd never seen that before. He dissolved into the biological soup that occurs. And then, wonder of wonders, out came this butterfly. And this caterpillar had laid lots of eggs. And soon, following in its wake... Others were entering into this whole different existence. We were just like, "What in the world is this what 's a butterfly? How in the world could this caterpillar become that? Well, the indication from Paul here is that all along, even without sin, there was going to be the Life on earth that would finally, when the full expression of our filling the earth and glorifying God was complete under His will, then all would usher into the butterfly stage. Wow. It was always the plan, but we sinned against God. We became defective in our sin. And our only hope then was simply to die. And to be cut off from God and to be cut off from his life and never know the joy of fellowship with him and never know the life to come that we could have in union with him. And you see, the Lord Jesus came and he lived a perfect life with no defect, with no sin. And he died and was raised and he put death to death. And he was raised to a new form of life that we had never seen before. Resurrection. This wasn't the resuscitation of a corpse. This was an entrance into that life that we had lost. And he won it back for us. He captured it. He earned it for us. And so Paul is able to say earlier in this chapter. For as by a man came death. Verse 21, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And so his resurrection was the firstfruits. His resurrection was the first of many. Or as Paul said, he was to be the first of many brethren in His resurrection from the dead. So, a few applications before we close. What does this mean then? What does this mean that there is going to be this glorious transformation of our whole lives our, that includes our bodies? In fact, that, that's the very emphasis here, isn't it? It's the bodily resurrection which encompasses the whole Of our transformation. Well, the difference in what we are and what we can be maybe is illustrated in a bit of humorous way in an anagram. You know what an anagram is where you take the same letters of one word and you form another word like dormitory. Same letters form dirty room. Okay. Okay. The Morse code. Here come dots. Same letters. Slot machines. Cash lost in them. Okay? Here's one that we all might wince at, but mother in law. Woman Hitler. I'm just saying that's what it said. Okay. (coughs) Snooze alarms. Alas, no more Z's. <clears throat> Eleven plus two, twelve plus one. <clears throat> this one is amazing. From Hamlet, "To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether 'tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune?" Equals in one of the Bard's best thought of tragedies, our insistent hero Hamlet queries on two fronts about how life turns rotten. It's true. And then here's my favorite. <clears throat> Britney Spears. Presbyterians. <laughs> <laughs> don't ever say I don't have personal application in this sermon. <clears throat> well, it's a small little illustration, but. Can you imagine what the God of the universe will do with our humanity if we can take little letters and mean such different things and create such different meanings? If He takes a seed and apparently delights in the smallness of this thing and the grandeur and the beauty and the amazing thing that this could produce a whole orchard and it could produce, it could feed millions of people, this one seed eventually. What is He going to do with the chief Of creation with mankind. What is he going to do with us to show glory as in no other way, to show transformation and fruitfulness and power and strength in such a personal way? Jesus didn't become a tree or an animal, he became a man. He became a man. We are the ones made in the image of God, we're the kings of this creation. Oh, how we should fix our hearts upon the glory to come one application is that this glory this power this life that we're to have is a moral and ethical one as well it's simply not physical and what what glory would that be what joy would that be that merely physically we are made perfect and we have life if We were left in the bonds of death in any way, the bonds of sin in any way, any fragment, any part of sin still attached to us. What would life be without this? And you see how Paul, even in this section, it it comes when you're reading this in a at a funeral. It kind of jars everybody in verse 58. Almost like, well, okay, Paul, you always got to talk about the law, don't you? You know, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. What part does that have in talking about the resurrection? Well, it's all connected that the law comes forth with its beauty and glory and goodness. And we're so evil, we turn away from that law. Or if we keep kind of the edges of it or the outward show of it, then we get all prideful and think that we're something when we're not even keeping it. It ruins us. This thing of purity and goodness comes to us, proclaiming the character of God, and we just increase our sin as a result of it. That's how sinful we are. And so, the power of sin is the law. Sin is so devastating, as Paul talks about in Romans seven, that that it turns us away even further when the law comes to us, and then sin brings about death. It's all connected. So. This future life, praise His name, is one of purity. It's one in which we will finally love Christ perfectly. We will love one another perfectly. We will know what it is to be loved. We will know what it is to be known and to be loved. And that this... All, this exhortation, which we should read this as an exhortation. In verse 49, he says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, let us, and you'll see in the margin of ESV, I think that's the preferred reading, let us also bear the image of the man of heaven. Isn't that glorious? It's the idea that we are already with him we are already united to him we have already been made new in him we are new creation we have been we have died and are raised with him let us bear the image of that man of heaven who enlivens us he is life-giving spirit verse 45 and you should read that capital s He so manifests the Spirit that He is named for the Spirit. He so manifests life to us, He's called life-giving Spirit. Does that begin in that day? No, we're tasting it now. And we're commanded now to take on that image, that image of the heavenly man, even the Lord Jesus Christ. So you are participating now in the life. Sometimes the question is asked, where is heaven? And perhaps the first answer to that would be heaven is within because heaven is where Christ is. The power of heaven, the manifestation of the purity of heaven is wherever this Christ is in his spirit so that we have been caught up in the life of heaven. And we breathe that atmosphere until one day heaven literally will come down to earth. And the new heavens and the new earth will be created. And we will be conformed perfectly to Christ. But this is salvation. It's not pulling up your bootstraps to get to God. It's not trying to better yourself. Many of us have this line that we think is that if you can get above that line, you might earn God's favor. You might win him over. And yet scriptures say that he justifies always who He declares righteous. He accepts and forgives who? The ungodly. They come to Him ungodly. They don't like Him by nature. They don't want Him by nature. They have refused Him by nature. And they come to Him in all of their sin. And He accepts them and forgives them and changes them. It's the only way it's done. There's no line to cross to... Be one of those that He says, oh, you've done well. Let me respond to you. We come to Him weak and helpless. He catches us up in His life and His power and transforms us. And so I urge you, though we're lost by nature and though we're ungodly by nature, He has come to us and caught us up into heaven. So bear the image of the man of heaven. And if I might refer again back to first Corinthians six, as he talks about the resurrection in that passage, his huge application is that he owns you in all your parts. Okay, he owns every part of you. He has purchased you by the blood of Christ. He indwells you by the Holy Spirit. You are joined to him and he will raise your body. It is his. It says he is for the body. The body is for him, your body and everything that it does, everything that it says, everything that it thinks, every hour, all your work and thinking and recreation, every part of your life is full of significance because everything you are and do matters to God. He's not raising a piece of junk one day. He's raising that which he has made and that which is precious to him. And every part of your life is important. So that's what the resurrection teaches you. As he says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So what you watch on the Internet, what you watch on TV, what you look at in print. What you think about in your marriage. How you think toward your brother or sister, your friend, your neighbor. Where your feet take you. What your hands do. What you say. Everything matters to God. Everything. That's not something to create fear. It's to create wonder and amazement. That I matter. All of my actions matter. And that's why he says in the third place. First Corinthians 15:58, where we ended. Therefore, because of the resurrection. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And there's probably some reference here to making known the gospel, certainly a reference to our work as believers manifesting the beauty and glory and goodness of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that he says, Your labor is not in vain, because at the beginning of the chapter he speaks of, if you don't hold fast to these things, then you've believed in vain. And here he's saying that because of the resurrection, nothing we do is in vain. Nothing will be lost, nothing is for no reason. But abound in this work that has constant, eternal ramifications. That has glorious meaning because it will finally usher in to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a life full of significance for the children of God forever and ever. And I love the words of Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you. And His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Because you are living in heaven. In one sense already. Looking to that day. When you will be made one with Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord. We honor you and praise you. That we. Have the blessed fellowship of God through Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have been made your children. That it impacts every hour of every day. Thank you for the resurrection that will one day be ours. A transformation we can hardly imagine into a life we can hardly imagine. Such you have for those who you have called to be your own. You're a king of unlimited riches. What will it be when you enrich your children with your designed inheritance that flows from your eternal love? Lord, may it cause us to give our lives completely up to you. As Paul says in Romans, by the mercies of God, give yourself up as a living sacrifice. Lord, may we do so for your name's sake. Amen.